Hello and welcome to the Parenthood Podcast. Now I've got to admit that today I'm a little bit starstruck as I'm interviewing a person whose books are a big part of my life after becoming a mother. Annabelle Carmel's children's recipe books adorn the kitchen shelves of most 21st century mums. Four million of us bought her first cookbook, The Complete Baby and Toddler Meal Planner. When her son Nicholas was born, she started noting down creative ways to encourage the world's fussiest eater to eat. 25 years later, she's just published her 43rd book, Real Food Kids Will Love, a cookbook aimed at feeding the whole family and celebrating the time that we spend enjoying food together. Annabelle, thank you so much for joining me today. It's just so lovely being in your fantastic house. Well, we've already been cooking for uh, yes. Facebook videos. We've made some incredibly successful chicken balls that my niece devoured. Yes. And I definitely had a little snack. Um, Annabelle, I was wondering, were you always passionate about food? Was this always the idea, sort of career-wise? I was a musician, actually, and I, my mum told me not to learn to cook because she wanted me to have a proper profession, and she was determined I'd be a musician. Played the harp, and I had a career for 14 years. And then I got married, and I'd always wanted to have a child, but it took me, like, two years to get pregnant. And then eventually I got pregnant, gave birth to a little girl called Natasha, and then one day she didn't look quite right, and I called a doctor, and he gave me this lecture about how first-time mothers worry about their children, and she was probably fine. But he examined her eventually after I persuaded him. And again, he said she was fine. But the next morning, she wasn't fine. Took another doctor. And five days later, she died in hospital from encephalitis. So literally, my whole world was completely shattered. And I just didn't know what to do with myself. I couldn't play music anymore. And I just wanted to have another child. I mean, you couldn't. Most people can't eat. I mean, I've had a you know, I couldn't eat. experience of losing a child as well. And you, you know, life stops and you don't really want to even put one foot in front of the other. No, it was like, oh, my God, life's going on. Like, how can it just go on as normal? For me, it was like my life had ended. So I went to my doctor and I said, like, I really need to have another child. And he put me on Clomid, which is a fertility drug. And I got pregnant within four months of losing her, which was actually, like, it really helped me. But unfortunately, I never had much luck with doctors because when I called my doctor to say that I was in labor, he said, oh, it would be a long time. You should stay at home, watch a video, run a bath, you know, just don't go to hospital yet. He was so wrong. So I tried to call him again. I went upstairs and my waters had broken and the baby's head came out. I'm at home. The only person there is my husband. And he's saying... No, of course it's not coming. I said, yes, it is. And he came over and looked and the head was out. It was completely blue. He didn't say to me at the time, but he thought the baby was actually dead because it wasn't breathing. But little did we know that the baby can't breathe until the rest of the body comes yeah. out. So thank yeah. God he didn't tell me that. So you gave birth to your, your son, Nicholas, was that? Half on the staircase. Oh my goodness. It was pretty awful, especially for someone who'd lost their first yeah, child absolutely really I can imagine very stressful and then no one came for two and a half hours oh my goodness. we rang 999 and no one came <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean that is quite obviously for people <laughs> listening who are sort of freaking out it's obviously quite a rare story but and the, the but it all ended well it was a happy it? ending so Nicholas is born and he's fine and, and he's how old now he's in his he's late 20s 28 and but he wasn't always fine. a good eater no he, uh, I was blessed with literally the world's worst eater <laughs> and having lost a child I felt very vulnerable so I started to make recipes for him and I was running a play group in St John's Wood called Babes in the Wood and I was giving out my recipes to all the mums and they used to say to me every week what else have you got so I handed out more and more recipes and then some of the mums said you know what you should write a book about feeding children and I thought me write a book I couldn't even type let alone write a book 
But then I thought, you know what? I wanted to leave a legacy to Natasha. And I thought if I wrote a book and I dedicated it to her and it was healthy food for children, that would be my legacy. And so I thought I could just like ask a few of the experts what were the right foods to give at what age. And the more people I asked, the more confused I got because they contradicted each other. So I eventually worked with Great Ormond Street where Natasha died and the Institute of Child Health. And I worked with the researchers into child nutrition. And so my book took almost two and a half years to write. But it was quite before its time. It was like, you should give peanut butter at six months. The earlier you give it, the less likely your child's going to have an allergy. You've got to give red meat at six months or essential fatty acids. And that book came out in 1991. Very hard to find a publisher. I was turned down by 18 publishers. No literary agent would take me on. Eventually got it published. It sold out within three months. And it went on to be the second best-selling hardback nonfiction book of all time in the UK. Quite a legacy. Quite a legacy to me. It was quite a journey. And I think I nearly gave up um, after being turned down by so many people. Because in those days, I mean, it's not even that long ago, though, you know, now you look at, you know, the cookery, children's cookery section on Amazon, and there is a lot of choices, lots of people doing what you started. But, you know, back in 1991, there was no, no children's cookery well there had been books but they'd never done well so it wasn't something that publishers thought was commercial now that my book has done well of course they will publish other books knowing that it is possibly a commercial proposition so that was that was the reason and I think it it it, you know it also looked at like making food much more interesting and tasty and using garlic and ginger and like a little bit of curry powder mashed banana and avocado chicken and apple balls it was like a trailblazing book it was like why do babies have to have bland food we don't like bland food and everybody had said oh they only like bland food so I put it to the test gave them bland food and gave them interesting food without adding salt and guess what they didn't like the bland food they liked the tasty food just like us and um, because it's quite important to introduce them to as many tastes as possible in those early years, isn't it? I mean, we're, we're increasingly getting research that shows that the more you expose your baby to in terms of flavors and consistencies mm. and different colors, the more the less likely they are to be sort of fussy eaters later. That's very true. So you've got this window of opportunity between sort of six months and one year where they actually eat quite well. And then at one year, they're their growth rate slows down and they become more active and they don't want to sit in a high chair. So it's more difficult to introduce new foods. So the more you can do in that window of six months, the more likely it is your child will not be a fussy eater. And the other thing is about allergies. Like so many people worry about allergies. And now like all the research is saying that the earlier, like from six months that you give eggs and peanut butter and all those potentially allergenic foods that people were withholding giving, the more likely it is that your child won't have an allergy and in the days when everybody was told don't give peanut butter until like your child's one year the instance of peanut allergy went sky high and in countries like Israel where every child has a snack called bamboo which contains ground peanuts there was practically no peanut allergy so you know the thinking behind allergies has changed so much and it's, it's really interesting and the one thing to watch is like if your child has eczema then it's very likely your child will also have a food allergy so so do watch what you give your children and, and look out for any potential reactions to what you're giving them and we're talking about allergies and actually if I look back over the last sort of 10-15 years I do think our relationship with food is changing it's constantly changing and we definitely I think see a higher incidence of food um, uh, eating disorders amongst an increasingly younger group of children and certainly within a sort of certain demographic at least um, you get parents that are self-diagnosing food intolerances and allergies and emitting whole food Mm. groups which isn't necessarily a good thing I mean one thing that's become very evident to me since having children is that 
our relationship with food is a very precarious one. And I think it is our duty as parents to ensure that the relationship our children have with food is a positive one, that they eat healthily, that they eat well, that they're not too self-conscious about their eating, but they are also aware that they do need to fuel their body with the good stuff as yes. opposed to the bad stuff. Have you seen, I mean, you've obviously been in this sort of food category for the last two and a half decades. <laughs> Have you noticed that sort of marked change? I think that um, parents are very aware that they want to give their children very healthy food um, and they're looking at the labels. The thing is, I've always been one for moderation, so it's okay to have a little bit of sugar. Um, You can go too far the other way, like people thinking, well, you know, don't give a fruit smoothie because it contains sugar. I mean, it still contains a lot of good things as well. I think that what's important and what goes wrong is that at the very stage of weaning, when you're giving fruit and vegetables, that parents go on giving fruit and vegetables for too long and don't realize that at six months, the iron that a baby inherits from their mother is running out. And the only real way of getting iron is to have something like red meat, which is easily absorbed. So even if you have like vegetables like spinach or whole grain which contain iron you can't absorb it unless you give your baby vitamin c at the same meal and iron deficiency is probably the commonest deficiency in babies and toddlers and children in fact and the other critical nutrient that babies aren't getting enough of is essential fatty acids which you can only really find in oily fish like salmon and again you know it's got to be given at six months and i think that it's not well known that these foods have to be given that early and if you buy these pouches that contain meat, it's such a small proportion that it'll be very hard for your child to get the iron they need from a pouch or a jar. So it is very important to make food yourself for your baby. And I think that's what people love about your books. Not only are they great innovative recipes that are easy and easy to make and delicious to eat, but there is also some guidance so that you know you are doing the right thing, which is what every mother obsesses about you know when you suddenly become a mother you just worry about every action yes. and whether or not you're doing it right oh, I feel a huge amount of responsibility because like we have become like you know the go-to brand for giving advice to mums and they completely trust us so I want everything that I do to be based on scientific research and I work with Dr. Adam Fox who is one of the leading pediatric allergy specialists in this country and we're really at the forefront of you know what is going on out there and the changes because there are changes so if your child has a milk allergy there's a thing called the milk ladder where you give them tiny amounts of food that a biscuit that has a tiny amount of milk powder in it because by giving them tiny amounts of the protein that they're allergic to, you can actually help desensitize your child. And sometimes parents just avoid that food altogether, but under medical supervision, you can give small amounts and you can help your child because the worst thing is if your child has a tendency to have an anaphylactic reaction to nuts, that could be life-threatening. So what you want to do is minimize the damage if your child does have a reaction, and there are ways to do that. And I think it's really important to find a specialist, and rather than I'm going to self-diagnose, oh, my child had this, they came out in spots because they had milk or cheese, may not be that they're actually allergic, which is an immune response. Maybe they're just, you know, temporarily intolerant through gastroenteritis. There's all sorts of reasons why your child might have a reaction and the same with eczema because if you give your child strawberries or tomato that's quite acidic and if your child has eczema and the skin is a little bit open around the mouth your skin your child's skin may become red doesn't mean they're allergic to it so there's all sorts of reasons why they might have a reaction it doesn't mean you have to immediately take that food out of your child's diet 
Yeah. So talking about weaning, I think a lot of people listening to this will be at the weaning stage with their children, which for me, I had sort of mixed emotions about introducing solids. I, uh, at the one hand, I thought I've got so much to do. I'm so sleep deprived. (laughs) Now I've got to start cooking as well. You know, it's not just about the the, the milk. Um, But on the other hand, it is an amazing experience, isn't it? Seeing your child be introduced to food and discovering the world of taste and texture and and also the sort of physicality of smearing things around and smearing I mean that's a really important part of their development isn't it it's actually you've got to let them go through that really messy stage you can't be wiping them all the time they hate that and the more they experiment the quicker they're going to be at feeding themselves and this whole new thing about baby led weaning so I, I wrote a book my 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 most recent book is the baby led weaning recipe book and it's all about like what you can make for your child that isn't just a cucumber stick, which contains 99% water, but how you get your child to eat chicken or meat at a very young age, because you're going to have to give it to them around six months. And meat in itself is quite tough to chew and they don't have any teeth. So I make all these tiny little balls with like lean minced meat and onion and carrot and apple, and they can hold in their fingers and chicken balls and salmon and quinoa balls and they're delicious you can freeze them you can take as many out as you need and they make a wonderful meal for the whole family so I'm very interested in trying to get children to have finger food that is a bit more nutritious than just a piece of vegetable because they need that nutrition they're growing at such a rate they are and often you then see a deterioration in their sleeping if they're not getting enough food or they're in- increasing their intake of milk which is not what they need at that stage um, now i think that that makes total sense because yes. i didn't do the baby led weaning with mine but that was because i just didn't feel that i could give them enough nutrition yes. during that but of course that is a genius solution you've come up with well i think you know i, th- I still think that a good way to feed them is, is some purees and some some finger food. I don't see any reason why you can't combine the two. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. 
So for new mothers listening, who are sort of maybe just starting out on this, this journey of weaning, what would you say the kind of essential pieces of equipment are? What would you invest in at this stage? If it was your daughter who had just had a baby, mm-hmm. what, would you, what would you say these are the five things to get? Definitely a steamer. Because once you boil vegetables, so much of the nutrients goes into the water. Steamer is really important. I just use an electric hand blender, which is really cheap and easy. It's yeah, so you don't need a sort of washing up, thousand pound piece which, of kit. No, you don't. Um, something like an ice cube tray. Like you can get some flexible ice cube trays. Like you can store your baby's food in. So that's so that you can store them in little cubes, and then as your baby's food intake increases, you can go from one cube to two cubes to yes. three cubes. Also, you can freeze apple puree and pear puree, and they can make apple and pear. You can mix them together mm. and um you know bowls and weaning spoons that are fairly shallow so it's easy for your baby to take the food yeah. from the spoon and not something that's difficult for them to grab the food with their little mouth the interesting thing about baby led weaning is that actually a lot of people cut the food up into very small pieces but babies don't have a pincer grip they grip things with their fist so it's got to be able to stick out so actually it's got to be quite long it's got to be at least five centimeters long otherwise it all disappears into their hand people don't realize that and And how frustrating must that be if you're (laughs) a really hungry baby it also has to be fairly robust so if you're going to give them a banana i always think like just leave a bit of the skin on because otherwise they're going to squish the whole thing up but if you leave the skin on they hold it with the skin and they just eat the top part that's better and you can leave the skin on things like peaches and otherwise it's just going to like it's so slimy, it'll just fall off yeah. your hand. And just little things like that, that just seems so obvious can make your life a lot easier. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of sort of making it easier, because yes, on the one hand, you know, my new mothers are time poor, but actually when you're organized, it doesn't take that long. I remember always doing sort of one day of cooking and batch cooking, maybe three different things, freezing them in those little yes. ice cubes. And actually then it was sort of ready to go. Yeah, I do do a lot of like prepare ahead and I do the meal planners in my books, which are literally you can cook this and that'll be good for Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And you can cook most of it during the week. And then you can do your no cook baby purees, which is your mashed banana and avocado or your mango. There's so many things you don't need to cook at all. And then I do these like we have this mini ice lolly molds we make and you can puree fruit, put them into mini ice lolly molds and the baby sucks them. It is the best thing for teething. Yeah, that cool. Or if they're not feeling well and they need liquid, they're really good. And Mm. they've got special handles, which are very easy for the baby to hold because they like something cold. Yeah, no, I remember my children absolutely loving yeah. So you get actually teething po- uh, toys that you put in the, yes. in the fridge. But actually, yes. if you can get Well, you're getting get something bit... nutritious, so yeah. it's good. And I, I, I can put carrot, banana and mango together and mix a nice lolly. You wouldn't know there was any carrot in it. <laughs> so I'm looking at you effortlessly whipping up these chicken balls today in my kitchen that my, my niece devoured. And uh, <laughs> with all this, this wonderful kind of creative energy when it comes to cooking. Be honest with me. Did you ever fall off the wagon and think, let's just go to McDonald's <laughs> with your children? My, my children still like going to McDonald's. So I've, I've never been one for that's a bad food. It's like how much you have of it. If you eat junk food on a regular basis, that's not a good idea. If you occasionally go to McDonald's, that's fine. And the more you make those kind of foods, the forbidden fruit, the more your child's going to want them. So I think make them available. I mean, when my children came home from school, all they wanted was salad. Because I make the most delicious salad dressings, kind of Japanese style. I've got them in all my books, and mum likes them too. And I could have chocolate in the fridge. They don't want it. They want the salad. 
And also, I think you do influence your children. If you're sort of constantly tucking into Maltesers, then your children are more likely to want to do that than if you're, you know, eating healthy but nutritious and filling salads. Yes. They used to take, actually, I used to make plastic bottles of salad dressing, which I used to take to school with them. And they used to take like two bottles at a time to pour over their school food, which they didn't like very much. And then all their friends wanted to have that as well. So I have to, like, I had a factory at home making the salad dressing. Starting a trend, you see. <laughs> yes. Um, so your new book, Real Food Kids Will Love, what I really love about it is that it's, it focuses on the family eating together as a whole and sharing that meal, which obviously we've all got to eat. We've all got to eat well. But that meal time, I feel has been slightly lost in society. You know, I think families are, you know, less and less sitting down as a family and eating a meal together, especially now with the advent of screens and children going off to their separate rooms to watch things or play computer games or do their homework. And yet I think that time when you eat together as a family is is really, really important. How did you manage that with your children? Were you very good at sitting down and eating together or? Well, I kind of tackled it a slightly different way. Every Friday when they were really young, they might have been four, six and seven, they would take over the kitchen and cook for the family. And, you know, if I had to chop something up, I'd do it. But basically I left them to it. And they love being part of the adult world and preparing something. And they got such pride in making something themselves. And they soon became quite good cooks. And I think that whole thing about them cooking something got them really interested in food. So that was one way of tackling it. The other was like never to focus on bad eating habits because, I mean, they were quite fussy, all three of them. I just used to ignore it. And I used to say, okay, so you're not hungry, then go off and play. Then the next time they'd think gosh, if I make a fuss, mummy isn't going to go to the cupboard and get everything out. And it's going to be a long drawn out one hour meal. And I'm going to get more and more frustrated and lose the will to live. So I would just focus on if they eat something tiny, something new, I'm going to give them loads of praise. And that kind of reverse attention really, really worked. And sometimes they'll have reward charts on the wall. Uh, I've actually got one in my book. I'll show you. It's like quite, you, quite yeah. interesting. And it's, um, this is a reward chart for eating your veg. We put it into the book, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, like if you eat your veg or your fruit, you get a star. And at the end of it, you can like stay up and watch your favorite TV program or do something special. And I mean, bribery does work very well, I have to be honest. Well, and also I think what's very clever is that you're encouraging children to open your book. And it shouldn't be that the mother or the parent decides what you're going to eat. Actually, you know, this book looks beautiful and I think it's really appealing to children. So, you know, sit down with your children yes. and decide what you're going to eat together. Yeah. Maybe they want to help you cook it. Maybe they want to have a day of the week where they choose what they're going to eat I do think that's very important especially with lunch boxes you know yeah. um I think it's great if a child like at the weekend makes something like a carrot and apple muffin and they put it in their lunch box and they take some to share with their friends you know get them involved in making their own lunch box it's a good thing or make a frittata there's so many things that kids can get involved with yeah well, it's not very frequently that I have someone with your sort of expertise and knowledge of, of food sitting in front of me. So while I've got you here, I'm going to do some sort of quick fire questions uh, just to sort of see what you would do in a, in a specific situation. So I the I pressure's start, on. Yeah, the pressure's on. No, <laughs> okay. no pressure. Um, what would you cook for a fussy two-year-old? So I would probably do my hidden vegetable tomato sauce because it's the veggies that they won't eat. So I blend them, but occasionally I leave a few lumps in them and then they think they're being so clever by picking out those few lumps. They have no idea that the rest of it's got all very tiny blended vegetables in it. It's kind of, it's a double bluff because you know how they're like, has mum sneaked any vegetables into it? Um, so that's a really popular one. And I do a hidden vegetable bolognese as well. And that's great because actually you can batch cook that 
leave them in the freezer and then just cook the pasta fresh every time so that they feel that you're cooking it fresh but you're using a you know the hard work's already been done Uh, it's pretty much a surefire winner most children love to have pasta and also you know that that evening when the sort of you know the five children who've come over for a play date decide to stay for dinner you've always got something ready for them that's a but i put um i put sun-dried tomato puree into it a bit of balsamic vinegar as well so i make it really tasty yeah, you don't so associate these things no, with No, sun-dried tomato puree is really good in the spaghetti bolognese. Oh, good tip. Right, second question. How would you get a vegetable-hating teenager to eat some greens? Well, the good old spiralizer has been an absolute winner for me. So courgette with the tomato sauce. So it looks like spaghetti, but it's actually veggies. So that works very well. And the other thing that's amazing is if you put sweet potato into a spiralizer and it's so easy you just turn the handle it comes out like spaghetti and you just and this put is it, raw sweet potato presumably yes yeah and you put it onto a baking tray mm-hmm. a little bit of salt and pepper drizzle a little bit of oil cook it in the oven it caramelizes and it's the most incredible tasting vegetable so it's the way you cook them so in my busy mum's cookbook my children hated cauliflower but i did roasted cauliflower and then i put a vinaigrette over it and now they absolutely love cauliflower So I don't like beetroot, but you make a chocolate beetroot brownie and I'm loving that. So like there's always a way. Yeah, amazing. (laughs) Fantastic. Um, What's your ultimate comfort food, would you say? Roast chicken. So I've got a recipe in my new book for roast chicken with the most amazing gravy and these stuffing balls, which have butternut squash in them. And they're balls, so do you actually stuff them into the chicken or do you sort of keep some No, I outside? make them as balls and I just put them onto the roasting tin. It's just amazing with the gravy and the stuffing balls and some veg. And in fact, I'm doing a... a I'm, for six weeks, we're doing recipes with a bluebird restaurant and the roast chicken's going on the menu. And I brought, like, my whole office to try some of the food and they just were waxing lyrical the whole time about this roast chicken and the gravy because it's not just for kids. But, you know, you could do a roast and everyone in the family will love it. And mm. it's quite easy, you just... Stick it in the oven. It's not difficult. And it's the kind of food that children love. And it's just a question of like, make a yummy gravy, make delicious stuffing balls. And it's a winner And you can for always everyone. pre-make those stuffing balls, Completely. have them in the freezer and then stick yeah. them in the oven when you're doing the chicken. Yeah, so roast go very well. Okay, this one, the first world has come crashing down around you and your Ocado delivery has not arrived. What do you make from freezer, from, from sort of stuff in your store cupboard, stuff in your freezer when you haven't had your delivery? I'd make a frittata. Would you? I love frittatas. And I do this one with like, um, you can do it with any potatoes, but I do it with new potatoes. So frittata is, describe to me a frittata for those who don't know. So it's a, an omelette, but in it it's got potatoes and onions and various other things. I put cherry tomatoes in mine and chives. But it's quite a thick omelette and it's really good, like cut into wedges and served cold, or you can serve it hot. So basically you can have it for your supper, but then you can put a wedge into your child's lunchbox. So it's perfect. It works for all occasions. Very simple to make, and you can put whatever you want into it, whether it's potatoes, onions, red pepper, ham, whatever you want, and it's the easiest thing to cook. And you've always got, like, eggs and bits and pieces in your fridge, so everyone loves it. Yeah, and actually those vegetables that have maybe spent a little bit too long in your vegetable drawer that aren't maybe quite as crunchy, the peppers, are are perfect to go into a potato. Okay, so this is what I was feeling last Sunday night. I was exhausted. It was my daughter's birthday party, and I had no energy to cook. What do you do on a Sunday night? How do you sort of, as the responsible food provider in the family, what would you do? Deliveroo. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it's, <coughs> it's okay. You've got takeaways sometimes. <coughs> so in my book, I've got a tuna poke bowl. Well, I don't know if you've ever had a tuna poke bowl. It's from Hawaii. It's amazing. No, I haven't. And I was first introduced to it, as I am introduced to most things, 
through my daughters. And it's made with quinoa and raw tuna, but it's got marinated and it's got things like edamame in it and crispy shallots and roasted sweet corn. It's got all these yummy things and it's very healthy. So yes, you can make it from my book or you can dial up Deliveroo and get it from Ahi Pokey, which is in Charlotte <laughs> Street. Or of course you can whip out one of my ready meals, which you can get in supermarkets, which is perfect for toddlers. So they're ready in like two minutes. So they're a good standby. So your children are sort of grown up now. They've flown the nest. Not quite. No, they no. haven't quite flown the nest because the food at home is so good. Well, this is still spending be my time question. at home. <laughs> is it your food that keeps them at home? And what would Absolutely. you cook them? To, if you thought, I really want a family dinner, I want them all to come back. What would you lure them home with? Uh, they do love my poke bowls. And I made yesterday, actually, something from this book again, which they loved. It was glazed salmon. And it was like a teriyaki glazed salmon. And I made a rice with lots of vegetables in it. And I cooked it together with scarlet. And they all absolutely loved it. And it's just the most easy dish to do. So something like that lured them all home. And they were all at home eating that. I always say that I sleep two children. And I feed at least 10 every day. Because everybody knows I can have so much food in my house. I'm always experimenting with recipes. Yeah, well, if my mother was animal Kamal, I think I'd feel the same. <laughs> That's why they haven't flown the nest. <laughs> What would your last meal be? Bit of a morbid um, question, but... Uh, I like sushi. I'm, I'm very much into Japanese food, so uh, probably sushi and things like yakitori chicken. But I also love... I mean, it's difficult because I also love spaghetti with seafood. I love so many things. And of course, I love chocolate too, so a good chocolate cake. And I like ice cream and hot chocolate sauce. I mean, I'm just obsessed with food. Like, you know, I mean, I'd, I'd be so difficult to choose. I think it had to be a 12-course menu. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm so greedy. <laughs> I do eat quite a lot of food. Annabelle, thank you so much for coming along and talking to me today. It's been brilliant. It's been brilliant cooking with you. Can we mention one thing before we finish? Yes, of course, of course. My app. I like, to call, I like to mention my app. We, we didn't touch on yeah, that. Yeah, okay, like, so let me, let okay. me intro that. Okay, um, okay I'll, do, I'll do this. Um, Annabelle, thank you so much for coming uh, to cook with me today. Is there anything we haven't talked about that our listeners have to know that you do? Well, there is one thing that has been very, very popular. We actually have the number one food and drink app in the country and it has been number one since before Christmas. This is beating the likes of Jamie Oliver. Amazing. I nearly fell off my perch when this happened. And it just shows you like how much parents do care about giving their child healthy food. And it's got over 250 recipes for babies, toddlers, and children. And it's just so handy to have it because you're in the supermarket, you need inspiration. What are you going to make for supper for your family? What are you going to make for your baby? And it's all there. And it's in your pocket, on your phone, anytime you want. And I worked really hard on that. And it's also got like meal planners that you can create yourself and shopping lists. And yeah, I'm really proud of that because I did it myself, no publisher. <laughs> Halfway through, I thought, what the hell am I doing? But it's been very successful. Oh, good for you. Well, I will recommend that to my sister because her <laughs> daughter um, is obsessed with your books. But as a result, all the books are sort of torn. And she said, I need more out of our Carmel books, but maybe she needs to have the app so that her daughter can't rip the pages. Thank you. <laughs> For more of Annabelle's great recipes and meal ideas, do check out her website. It's annabellecarmel.com, as well as her books. She has an app, which we've just heard about. Um, and for those days that you can't face cooking, her toddler meals are available in all good supermarkets. So you were telling me earlier, we've got Tesco, Sainsbury's, Asda, Iceland, Morrison's, yes. also, all have your food. So we do a range of chilled food. We also do a range of frozen food now. Mm. And my daughter, who's 20 
seven is obsessed with my frozen cottage pie. She's always looking for it at home. I don't know, but it's like really tasty. So yeah, that's, so that's it's great, okay actually, to have a ready meal, go, provided it? it's good quality. And, yeah. and I wanted it to taste like homemade, which I believe they do. Yeah. I must say my favorite though are your books I do love your books um I've had a flick through uh, real foods kids will love um and I can tell you it's not just the kids who will love it. it really <laughs> is the whole family um so so do have a look at it it's available um from Amazon and all good bookshops Thank you all for downloading this episode of The Parenthood. If you're just weaning, do have a listen to the episode I recorded with Dr. Kiara Hunt, which will answer all your practical questions on when, why, and how to introduce solids. We hope you're enjoying The Parenthood. We want as many people as possible to enjoy our podcast, so please do spread the word amongst your parent friends. And if you have a moment, rate us wherever you found this podcast. But in the meantime, from Annabelle and me, goodbye. <laughs>